Hi, it's Marcus. Welcome to the show. This is the best of episode. So tune in, enjoy, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and business agility coach, Marcus Dimbleby. One of the questions I often ask in change management is, how many of your previous programs and plans have been delivered on time? And I never get an answer of all of them. Zero, nada, ever. So, okay then. Right, well, let's look at the, the analysis of those things. How many were off track? How long? What was the cost of that? What was the delay time? Now apply some red teaming, red team thinking concepts to that, and then remeasure that a year or six months or whatever downrange. And that to me is you're bringing down that error margin rather than, you know, rather than increasing something from zero. But yeah, so talking about the recent, absolutely, 100%. And talking about the recent client we had, often, you know, the ideal time to red team is before you go into the planning and strategizing. But, you know, this was created to wire brush your strategies. And this organization, a global capability, had a 2.5 billion strategy that they'd started in January. And we'd gone into a, a 12-month program with them and we went into the, the second phase in February. And we were using their strategy. We were looking at that with three of the tools. And we just spent three afternoons with some of their core people who were involved in all different sections and parts of delivery of this uh, strategy, which was great because you had the execution, you had the guys at the front line, you had the people in the you know, main level offices. So you had a real 360 perspective in all levels of what was going on. And the whole general perspective of this plan was it wasn't a great strategy and they were concerned and they were like, oh, if only we'd, you know, that old thing we always hear, if only we'd had the chance to do this before we launched the plan. So, well, okay, you've launched the plan, but you're not executing it all at once. This is a two-year plan. So what is it that you're doing in the next six months? What do you not agree with? What's the concerns and challenges? So we went through some of those things. And as always, we surfaced through the analysis of the team, lots of problems that they started to then challenge again. And then they made recommendations. I said, well, simple thing now is go back, make those recommendations to whoever's the, you know, holding the pen and see what happens and make them now with the evidence you've got rather than just going, oh, it's a bad plan, it won't work. And two weeks later, I got a phone call from that director. I got a message on LinkedIn. He said, can I, can I have a chat? I called him up. He said, mate, he said, we've just saved 10 million pounds already in executing on some of those recommendations we've made. And that's in the first two weeks of coming back. And he said, we've got another 20 months ahead. So, you know, he said, I can't wait. We've got another session with him in April, then another one in June. He said, but just taking a the right people and this is what's key about red teaming we can all go out into red team tomorrow and you'll fail miserably you have to have the right people and he he was really focused on with our help bringing in that diverse group of people from all you know all walks of life all sections of the business so he got to hear the things that he wouldn't normally have heard and they weren't shy and holding back once they had the tools and techniques but the the revelations that came out and the angst and concerns that people had normally mumbled about at the cooler or mumbled about in the back room when nobody else was listening got surfaced in a very collegial way. And when you surface them in that way, 
as we always say, you can't ignore it. You can't unsee the problem that you've said. It wasn't Marcus saying, hey, this is a problem. They surfaced that themselves collectively. And then this thing's sat in the middle of the table like a monster going, okay, what are you going to do with this now? And they did something with it. And they took that away and they saved £10 million for three afternoons worth of work. And we did not charge them £10 million. <laughs> Nor did we do a percentage <laughs> cut on the revenue increase. Which I know. We, we, we got to figure out how to get people to do that. because <laughs> I never I, signed up for that, did they? Go on, no. tell me this one. Well, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, the, the biggest the biggest dollar sign we have, and again, boy, I wish we could figure out how to make our contract so that we get a percentage of money saved. Um, if anyone wants to take us up on that, we will we will work for a percentage of money saved. Indeed. Um, the uh, we I I was working this before we started working together. Even this was probably uh, four or five years ago. I was working with one of the big Wall Street banks, who shall remain nameless. Um, and doing a, in addition to, to doing training like we, we, we do, we also sometimes when organizations don't really want to take the time to learn to do this themselves, mm-hmm. we're not consultants. We won't come in and do it for them. But we what we will do is come in and lead them through a red teaming exercise on a, on a strategy or plan. And in this case, we were working, and this is still the only time I've encountered this 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 word in a strategy that I've been working on. A one I'm laughing trillion, because of that one's coming. Yes, one trillion dollar one strategy. Trillion. One trillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. a cat. <laughs> <laughs> cat. Come on. I know. I don't have a cat. You have a cat. I do. Uh, He's in the kitchen. The uh, and and that was uh, it was an entirely new financial product, and they estimated that over the next decade this was going to generate one trillion dollars in revenue for them. And so we started. We started on the first day. And we, uh, you know, I led them through several of the different techniques that we teach. We did assumptions challenge. We did pre-mortem analysis. We ended the day with pre-mortem analysis. And the head of the business unit went went home. She came in the next morning. I met with her half an hour before we kicked off to see how things had been going. And she had dark circles under her eyes. I said, you okay? You feeling okay? And she said, I didn't sleep last night at all. <clears throat> she said, I there were a couple of things that came out of yesterday that kept me up all night because I was like, we've been working on this for two years. Why, mm-hmm. why did, are we just seeing these now? And I said, well, let's, let's test them further using, using another technique. Uh, let's use devil's troika on them this morning. When we were done with that at lunchtime, she said, I don't think we need to do the rest of the afternoon session. She said by then she, she and some other team members had identified a potentially fatal flaw in this strategy. And, you know, she said to her team, this is, this is serious. I mean, you know, I don't know how we missed this, but now that we see it, you know, I, I, I can't good conscious go forward with this strategy. We need to address it. And it's going to take a while because we're going to have to rethink a, a few major parts of the strategy. And so she went and she met with the chairman of the bank, um, a name that everyone would be familiar with. And uh, came back and said, uh, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hold this strategy for six months, and we're gonna take what wow. we learned, and we're gonna redo it." And and they did redo it, and it launched successfully. And I asked her later, this was over a year later. I said, "How much do you think you guys saved by by fixing this?" And she said, "At least ten billion dollars, probably a lot more." And uh, I said, wow. I said, you know, 
you know, next time I come in, maybe we can do a percentage. Just point one percent will do it. Yeah, I'd be happy with point one percent. Yeah, um, but that's you know, this is this is real. I mean, this is this is how when you're dealing with high stakes plans, it, it can be that significant. People are proud of putting fires out, and there's also that I call it the double busy badge. You know, everybody walks around. You know, hey, hey, standard question and answer is, hey, hey how's, how are things? How are you doing? I'm so busy. And it's like, look at this Medal of Honor I've got. I'm so busy. I'm like, dude, that is nothing to be proud of. You know, rushing around everywhere, looking busy. And and is it the sake of looking busy for, you know, appearances sake? What was it Warren Buffett said? Was it, you know, busy is the new stupid. And if you're (laughs) racing around, it's just stupid behavior because you're going to trip up. As we say in the complex world, if you're rushing around, applying system one, reacting, what do we say? Bad leaders react. If you're reacting rather than taking the time to be responsive, which is a well thought out considered response rather than a reaction, knee jerk reaction, then you're going to get a bad outcome. You're going to trip up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things you didn't mean to say. You're going to go down pathways and take people with you, oblivious to what's down there. And then before you get there, there's dragons, bears, tigers, and sharks. And you you're sat there going, I never saw that coming. And everyone's behind you going, well, we did try to tell you. We did try to pull back on the reins, but you were so busy rushing, and here we are. Well, you know, it's interesting. When Alan Mulally was on our show, he made the point that, you know, when he was when he was in the midst of saving Ford Motor Company during the global financial crisis, people used to always say, oh, you must be, you, you must be working around the clock and, and, you know, burning the midnight oil. And he was like, nope. I'm home every day at 6.30 because the most important thing he said on the show, he said, the most important thing is the leader is that I show up fresh the next day, not running around with my hair on fire and calm and able to tackle what, what, what tomorrow's problems are in a, in a deliberate and calm sort of way. And you can make effective decisions. If you, if you've got the headspace, you know, and this is why I think to me, leadership is about that ability. We see, you know, and we work with a lot of individuals. You see these leaders and the heads are almost fuzzing because there's so much going on. And that's on them because they're taking it on. Instead of delegating, instead of that devolved decision-making that we so often help clients with, mission command. If you delegate, you're freeing up space. And you look at the diaries, is it back-to-back Zoom calls? You know, that's just bad management of your own personal time. So if you free up that space, you're not that busy. And that's okay. And, and again, get over that stigma of not looking busy. Walking around, observing. You're helping, you're creating the environment and enabling your people within that to do what they need to do effectively. If you're micromanaging everything, if you're hands-on everything, if you're unable you know, I was working with an organization last year and they met the team. Like, hey, hey, have you seen the boss? I said, yeah, I was just spent yesterday with them. Oh, great. How are they? Good. And they're like, I could see it. Like, Why? Well, I don't know. It'd be nice to see them at some point. I was like, when did you last see them? Two weeks ago. I'm like, really? And then I went to speak. Oh, I'm, I'm so busy, Marcus. Like, Let's have a look at your diary. You know, and then you get the guilt trip of that behavior. But this is, and this is where Alan had this nailed. And we talked to Ron, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago. Put yourself first. Put your health first. If you're not clear of mind, a sound of mind as a leader, how can you help your people? 
How can you be rushing around everywhere with your tail on fire and your brain fizzing and be an effective leader? And we're not, we're, we're not, we're not advocating, you know, abdicating your role as leader. We're not advocating taking it easy, you know, and, 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 you know, phoning it in, giving 50%, any of that. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying, we're, we're saying approach your job as a leader, as a decision maker in a deliberate way where you give yourself the time and the headspace um, to, to make the right decisions. And, uh, you know, this is something we've talked with a number of our guests about, and it's really important is that, is that, you know, and, and, and this, and this is why Kahneman wrote the follow-up book noise to thinking fast and slow, because not only is cognitive bias and heuristics a threat to decision-making, so is the, the noise created by, by being double busy, as you put it, you know, all the time is also keeps you from making a good decision. And, and you do have to carve that space out. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, not that he, that every single one of his decisions was, was perfect because they weren't, but I mean, you know, look at Churchill. I mean, Churchill famously stayed in bed half the day and yet, and, and, and people would, would, would kind of be shocked at this, but you know, he took, he took, you know, a huge, you know, nap in the middle of the day, but then he, then he got up fresh and worked late and then, you know, he, but he paced himself and, and, and people at the, you know, at the time, many people thought he was pacing himself to a fault, but it worked because he, what he was doing was giving himself the space to think. And doesn't that go back to what we talk about in the four principles of red team, that self-awareness and reflection. If you're not self-aware, doesn't matter how great you are at doing everything else. If everyone around you is watching you slowly start to implode and you can't see or sense that yourself. And we often, and men are awful for this, you know, suicide rates for men are sky high because of this, we're the worst individual. And we, heart don't, attacks. We, we don't talk. And heart attacks too. Heart attacks, yeah. We bottle things up. We don't see it. We don't believe it can happen to us. You know, and we don't really talk about these things either with our mates, with our work colleagues, with our family. And then boom, things happen and bad things happen. Hey folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. During the break, I booted up uh, ChatGPT and I typed in the following prompt. I would like to use AI to support my decision-making as a business leader. Play the devil's advocate and tell me why that is a bad idea. I haven't hit return yet. <laughs> so we're asking the machine to tell you why using the machine is a bad idea. I exactly. Love that. See if it'll turn on itself. It is. <laughs> so, while using AI to support decision making as a business leader can have its benefits, it's important to consider the potential drawbacks and limitations. Here are a few reasons why relying solely on AI for decision making might not be the best idea. One, 
lack of human intuition and context. AI systems typically operate based on patterns and data analysis, but they lack the intuition and contextual understanding that human leaders bring to the table. Human decision-making involves a complex blend of experience, intuition, and emotional intelligence, which may not be captured or replicated by AI algorithms. Boy, Gary Klein would love this. Our friend Gary would love that. Two, over-reliance on data. AI heavily relies on historical data to make predictions and recommendations. However, this approach might overlook important emerging trends, unforeseen circumstances, or disruptive events that cannot be adequately captured by historical data alone. Human leaders are often better equipped to anticipate and respond to these dynamic and uncertain situations. There's your, your, your black swan or gray rhinos. Absolutely. Ethical considerations. AI systems are only as good as the data they are trained on. We were just talking about this. If the training is data is biased or flawed, the AI system may reinforce or amplify those biases leading to unfair or discriminatory decision-making. Human leaders can apply ethical judgment, empathy, and consider diverse perspectives to mitigate such biases. Four, limited explanations and transparency. AI algorithms can sometimes be considered black boxes since they often lack transparency in their decision-making processes. It can be challenging to understand how the AI arrived at a particular recommendation or prediction, making it difficult for business leaders to fully trust and evaluate the outcomes. Human decision-makers can provide explanations and justifications for their choices, enhancing transparency and accountability. Five, Unforeseen consequences. AI systems operate based on predefined rules and algorithms, and they might not account for all possible outcomes or consequences. They are limited to the information they've been trained on and might miss nuances or unforeseen risks associated with the decision. Human leaders can apply critical thinking and evaluate the potential for long-term impacts for their choice of their choices. This is great. Not only is this is is it doing a great job of, of attacking itself. It's doing a great job of, of making the business case for red team thinking. Exactly. <laughs> Telling you what else you need, isn't it? Because again, so don't fear AI is going to take your job, but then also don't be so lazy that you use AI to do everything for you. It, right. It's this middle ground where it's this augmentation. AI, chat GPT, whatever the latest tool is, cat GPT we are talking about yesterday. Yeah. It's a tool. It's a tool. Check out cat GPT oh, oh. if you haven't. I got to shamelessly... <laughs> Plug it. Get I, that plug in there. Cat GPT. I, I'm Everybody's a part owner it. of it. Uh, Cat GPT <laughs> is is a, is a company that has been created by my my venture studio, Nobody Studios, and it was started as a joke, but it's actually turned into something that uh, is got it. a lot of users. Cat GPT. Check it That's out. That's how Go these ahead. things happen, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, the whole purpose is these are tools, right? And we don't let tools take over. We use them to augment our decision making. And that's what it's all about. You can't make decisions without the human element that's required in, in complexity, especially in this VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's not a substitute for human judgment, and, and it's never going to be in the scenarios that we're talking about. So this is really important, and I think this is where we need to you know, get that human injection. We need to consider the multiple perspectives, and that's where AI, ChatGPT can help. It can bring in scenarios, information, risk assessment, but you've got to have that subject matter expertise, that human knowledge. And as Bryce said, then you've got to be able to exercise the most essential skill today of critical thinking. That's how we help ourselves, help leaders, or help organizations make decisions better in these complex worlds and environments that we operate in. How do we do this? 
quick simple tool think right share again let's grab some eggs start sucking this is so simple let's think about a question normally if i pose a question to a group of you before i've even finished answering it someone's going to shout out the answer out, yeah. and we did this yesterday i even briefed this yesterday and somebody shouted out the answer straight away oh. i can't believe it and i said i said she's she's not a plant yeah. and i didn't even i said that's okay. I said, that's just what I proved. That's your system one brain kicking in. Yeah. You couldn't even stop it, could you? And she's like, so embarrassed. I said, don't worry, it's cool. That's a perfect proof. This is how we operate. It shows how hardwired it is as well. It's automatic. 100%. 100%. Automatic. It is yeah. full on automation. 100%. As a kid, the teacher's writing the question on the board. You're answering it before they finish. Yeah. So again, if you're going to use this tool, tell people what not to do. Right. Nobody say anything. Here's a question I'm going to post to you, and then I want you to stop and think for 60 seconds, and I want you to engage your brain. And a great acid test of this is when I first ask you the question, something will leap into your mind, default, as you said. Is that answer the same after 60 seconds of thinking differently? 85% of the time, it'll be different because you've allowed your brain to engage and think of different other mm. opportunities. So we do that. What do we do then? We write the answer down. So just by writing it down, either scribing it or on a computer, scribing is better. It, react, it activates different neurons in the brain. So it gives you further clarity. And also, again, another two for one here, you've written that down. There's no pressure now. So when you share it with a group, if I say, James, share me your answer. Normally happens in class, isn't it? Well, if James gets it wrong, he's going to ask me next. So I'm worried about my answer and I'm thinking about my response, not what you're saying. I can now actively listen to what you're saying and my other colleagues. So I'm learning, I'm noting what you're saying. And if you ask me, hey, cool, there it is. I can read it off. I'm not worried about it because I've scribed it. You can do this anonymously. You can use online mural, online templates to do that if you want. Or in a group, all write down on a post-it note or a postcard with the same pens. And then either shuffle them all. So I get one. It could be mine again. It could be yours. I don't know. And we just read it out and we have a discussion about it. So now, 10 of us in a room, I've got 10 responses. There may be some similar we put them all up and we have a debate. We have a discussion. We discuss. Why is this a good idea? And we debate it. No one knows that James said that. And then when we finish, if there's one great idea that we take on and we go and make millions with the business for it, James might go, uh, that was mine. So you can put in positions of reward or none of those ideas might work. Mm. But you know what will happen? Ten of us will be triggered by those ten and our brains will be on receive and we'll think differently and we'll come up with a hybrid outcome because we've all collectively taken something in different we didn't know about before and we get a better outcome you're also now engaged aren't you that active learning that active everybody's engagement engaged. yeah yeah because what's happened if i walk in or here's my question and james goes yeah here's the answer boss wonderful james thanks all the other nine people go what the hell yeah i had a great idea yeah what the... even want... being asked i imagine for Correct. the 10 you get asked the question we would value your opinion on xyz now you've got next level engagement because a lot of big organizations think that the way that you reward people is a monetary system but actually reward can be engagement engagement enjoyment of of being able to be included it goes back to the two ladies i talked about you know they were engaged that day and people listened if you've got introverts who don't speak but they've got the best ideas this allows them to speak up not only that by being anonymous you don't have biases so if you say something and I go around the room, right, if I'm trying to be a cool boy and you see this all the time, right, I want 10 answers. So I'll go around the room, James, give me your answer first. Whatever you say, and I don't care what people think, what you say will trigger everyone else, oh, biases to yeah. kick in and go, yeah. oh, and they'll build off of your answer. Yeah. Or I might have an answer and number three says something, and I go, oh, God, his answer's so better than mine. 
I've got to think of something. Oh, I've got a riff. Oh, I've got a variation. So you get ten variations. But now you're also not listening. Correct. You're, all you're caring about is exactly recycling or reciting in your head what your answer is going to be. So you see, all so good. You see why meetings are so bad. Yeah. And why people are so disengaged or don't go because they're awful. They're just so incompetently managed and run. But it's so simple to fix mm. it. And so if we've got a client, they've got Think Right Share, Fablon, and all their meeting rooms globally. It's changed the culture of the business. And if they're going down a rabbit hole and it's getting a bit hairy, someone will just go, <clears throat> can we uh, go back to what we're supposed to be doing? Think Right Share? Levels the playing field. Absolutely yeah, resets it and people are engaged. You'll be seen, perceived as a great leader because your people love you for engaging them. Your output will be better. The outcomes your teams create are better. Think right, chair. Take it away. Try it. Seriously. Everybody we use, we use as a foundational tool in all of our other tools and techniques. This is the number one thing that all of our clients come back with and say, that's the game changer. Take it away. Use it tomorrow. I'm thinking about it myself now. Yeah. Like, I've, I've never done yeah, that Every time you team. have a conversation with the team, do it. Yeah. Super easy. It doesn't hurt to ask a question. It doesn't hurt to ask. What's the worst someone can say? It's like we learned this as a kid. What's the worst someone can say is no. So I was constantly, you know, asking to, you know, to do things that that led to amazing opportunities. I remember when I was a cub reporter, I was working in the Sierra Nevadas. I was a, working in a small bureau for McClatchy. And it was wintertime. And, and every day this helicopter came in and, 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 and took off, in, you know, in the morning and then in the afternoon, late afternoon would come back. And I asked somebody, I asked the, the sheriff, I said, what, what is this helicopter that's going up, uh, taking off every morning, going up to the mountains? And he said, oh, that's a, he says, that's the Pacific Gas and Electric Company helicopter. He says, they have to, the power lines that come into California come over the Sierra Nevadas and they have to go during winter and survey the snow depths at the top of the mountains to see, you know, what the weight is on the lines and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he's like, I talked to the pilot once and it's amazing because they like, they land in places where there's no human beings, you know, for hundreds of miles because it's the middle of winter and stuff and it's impossible to get in. And I said, oh, that sounds so cool. I want to do that. And so I, I literally just got in my car when the I heard the helicopter coming in and landed and, you know, drove up and I said, hey, you know, I'm the reporter, you know, here. I said, I'd love to go up with you guys. And they gave me the number of someone to call up the corporate office and I called and they were like, oh, that would be awesome, you know, and and literally a week later. I was sitting with the pilot having lunch on top of a Boy Scout camp's two-story roof where the snow was up to the eaves of the roof and uh, watching a pack of wolves walk by us, yeah. you know, as we ate lunch and on the top of a mountain. And I mean, because I asked. And then when I covered the automobile industry in Detroit, because it was such a, there, there was such a big global press pool, people would always, you know, I remember one time we went on a, a tour of a factory and I, I, Every, you know, about Ford was was uh, just starting to build hybrid SUVs, and everyone filed the same exact story that said, you know, Ford's launching its first hybrid SUV. It was the it was the factory tour story. It was what the PR people told mm -hmm. us as we walked around, and, the, and they wrote it off the press release they gave. Them. I wrote a story that taught my the headline of my story was workers struggle to to adapt to new electric vehicle realities at Ford's hybrid SUV factory. It was all about how hard it was to install the batteries and stuff like this. And, and the next day I got a call from one of my competitors and he's like, how the hell did you get that story? He's like, like, how, I, like who told you that? I said, the workers. He said, what, what workers? I said, the workers at the factory that we were at. 
He said, when did, when did Ford let you talk to the workers? I said, they didn't. I said, when you guys were having lunch, I walked into the employee cafeteria and just started chatting with people and asking them how it was going installing these new batteries. And he said, but they didn't give us permission to do that. I said, I didn't ask. They didn't tell us not to. Exactly. <laughs> you I, know? Love that. I didn't ask. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, and, and I just think you have to cultivate that mindset in life mm-hmm. of, of being willing to, to ask, being willing to show up, being willing fill in, in the blank. Because if you just do that, and you, I know you're, you've taught your kids this, you, they'll already be ahead of nine tenths of their, of their peers. hundred uh, percent. Say you, you ask 10 kids, why didn't you do this? Because the answer would have been no. Why didn't you ask? Because it wouldn't have happened. And as you said, well, you don't know until you ask. And then when they do say no, reattack, be persistent, come up with a better argument. And, and that's what my kids now, when, when they want something from me, to, <laughs> I, I know when they want, they, they don't come in out. I know I, I struggle to win arguments now, but they don't, they never come to me with an ask. They come to me with a clever question. Ah, I so love that. as soon as I get a question, they're like, yep. dad, where are we going to be on the 5th of July? I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> Five whys. Yep. But it's a great, and I know, I know where we're going with it, but it's a game I play because it's great to see them thinking that way and following this this very different way of getting a compromise getting a solution that's often the one they want or engineered towards their liking rather than the big no that they often get if they ask their mother i love that (laughs) when you're looking at now recruiting gen z gen z for this side of the pond you know this generation are more likely to challenge they're less tolerant of the BS. But if you don't give them that capability to speak up, if you don't give them an opportunity or a sounding board, then what are they going to do? They're going to leave. They're going to go and find an organization that will do that, that will engage them. Because that's ultimately what people want. I want to be engaged in the workplace. When I get up in the morning, I don't think, I'm just going to go to work today, do the bare minimum, keep my head down and not have a thought in my brain that's going to be of value. I don't think... Well, clearly there will be some out there, but I don't think the majority of people think that way. I think people want to get up. They want to make a difference. They want to do good in the world. They want to help people. They want to have ideas and they want to be heard and share them. And they want to see that they're making a difference. Right. Making a difference. And, you know, what do we see, though, in employee engagement surveys time and time again? 21%? The last round of... Gartner scores were 21% of employees are engaged in the workforce. I think it was 79% are disengaged. And of that 79%, 15 are actively sabotaging your company. It's crazy. And this is, this is, you know, this goes back to, to why is, why are those 15% actively sabotaging your company? Well, this is, is what I, what I experienced firsthand when I was a business journalist, Pete, when I covered Ford motor company, People, including very senior people in the company, gave me incredibly damaging information. Mm-hmm. I, one of one story I wrote, I, I had a, I had a friend who was a VP at uh, J.P. Morgan call me up after a story I wrote, which which was I revealed the the true magnitude of the losses at Jaguar for the first time, which were not public. A friend of mine at, at, at J.P. Morgan called me. Said he said we just did the numbers. He said you destroyed two billion dollars in shareholder value today. <laughs> And by with your story, because I wrote a story revealing what Jaguar's uh, 
actual finances were and, and Ford's stock tanked. Um, and apparently it scuttled a deal to sell Jaguar that was in the works at the time too, that I didn't know about. But, but the, the reason why that person shared that with me was not because they were an ass who, who just liked to cause trouble. It was because this was a, a person who deeply cared about Ford Motor Company, who wanted to make a positive difference, who wanted to shake the company out mm -hmm. of its lethargy. And, and, and this was back in, in 2005, 2006. And, and get them to start addressing some of the systemic yeah. problems that were causing these massive losses. They cared. And, and they, they couldn't get anyone to take them, their concerns seriously because people were just, you know, moving papers from one box to another yeah. and happy to take their bonuses. And, 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 and no one was really, you know, putting in a big effort above them. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to pull their pants down in public so that everybody sees yeah. what a mess they're making of this company. Or the reaction. And that's going to shame them, I hope, into fixing it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so you see that happening all the time. And so this person, I guarantee you, if this person had been listened to, yeah. it, it, when this person shared their concerns with senior leaders, which they had many, many times, and said, you know, I think we need to do something to address it. Here are my ideas. I'd like to share them with you. If they had, if their response had been, yeah, let's have a conversation about that. You're right. We can't go on like this. That person would have never in a million years shared that with me. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.